Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, come on. By now, you know you're in the right place because this is where the best run. This is season seven of our almost longest running series under the Game Changers radio banner. We're so proud and happy to reach our listeners all over the world with interesting conversations about good, valuable, timely, relevant business information. I never said it quite that way before, but that's what we're here for. So let me check the buzz. I have a quote actually from Wikipedia about something called the experience economy. Let me read this and then I'll give you a little more elaboration on what we're talking about today. The term experience economy was first used in a 1990 article by a gentleman named B. Period, Joseph Pine II, and James H. Gilmore. They were describing the economy after the agrarian, that's farmer's economy, the industrial economy, and most recently, the service economy. Businesses, they said, must orchestrate memorable events for customers. That memory becomes the product. Hence, the experience, and that's where we get experience economy. So, welcome to the experience economy. We're all in it. We all know what it means. We all know what it does. Experience-based services are driving economic growth in transportation, hospitality, what there's left of it during the pandemic, but we hope it will revive, consumer products and entertainment industries and way beyond. So, I'm talking to our business listeners all over the world. How your business manages and uses customer data is becoming as important as the actual products you produce and the services you offer. Think about that. Customer data as the key. How should you do it right? Well, we think a cloud-first approach can accelerate your cycle times, focus on strategic competencies, improve scalability, improve innovation, and let your customers sometimes pay only for the services they use. Think about you as a customer of companies where you only pay on a subscription model. Are you on board yet? We are bringing back three experts on this topic who joined me on part one. Our topic today is Journey to the Cloud. They were with me on March 3rd. Today we are live. It is September 15th, 2020. So a couple months later, the world has changed dramatically since then. We're going to be speaking with Ethan Jewett at Mindset Mindset Consulting, LLC. We're going to be speaking with Craig Stasela and Chris Poxtis at SAP, and they're taking us on a journey to the cloud part two. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to, uh, I want to thank our sponsors. Ira Burke at SAP has sponsored this, and Dana Corder has been managing these, the series for a couple of years now. Thank you, Dana. So here we are. Let's get started around the table. Ethan Jewett, welcome back. I'm going to put you on speaker view. Ethan, in case there were three people in the world who don't remember who you are from March, it's possible. A lot has happened. Why don't you introduce yourself to those three people, give us an update, and also give us just a little overview, if you will, an executive summary, Ethan, of what this topic means to you. Welcome, Ethan Jewett. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I'm really happy to be here. I'm a senior SAP architect and at Mindset Consulting, and I help to run our design-driven development practice. It's a little bit of a change since last year when I was focused a little bit more on DevOps, but they definitely, um, they definitely combine um, and are very much linked to each other and to cloud. Um, 
you know, I'm really interested in, in user experience and development methodologies and practices and innovative technology, um, whether that's, you know, cloud or programming languages and stacks or databases and UI technologies. So cloud is really important to me as a, as a, a platform and a way to deliver technology and user experience um, to enterprise and consumer uh, customers. And so, you know, that's really my interest in the topic and in getting, you um, um, customers, enterprises, and technology into the cloud. Thank you, Ethan. Question for you: When we talk about cloud, if we're ta- we're here for B B two B, but if we talk about B two C, do customers really care if a business is on the cloud? Is it just it's part of infrastructure? It's don't tell me, I don't want to know. Just give me a good experience. Pay attention to who I am. Use the data wisely. Respect my privacy, and give me great experiences, whether they're the product or the service or both. Ethan, what do you think about that? Right. So, as a technologist, I'm interested in it, right? But mm-hmm. as a customer, no, I, no one really cares. But what people care about is what their actual experience is, right. and I think at least that cloud has an impact on that. I know it does. I was I was putting you on the spot there, and thank you for, for stepping up. It's it's the background. Customers don't care about the data. They just want to know are they getting the best bang for the buck, the best experience for their time. That's what they want to know. Let's move around the table. Craig Stasilo, welcome back. Craig, you've got, uh, by the way, to our listeners, I have the privilege and pleasure of being here on visual Zoom with my panelists. So I get to watch them think and watch them talk instead of trying to figure it out on the phone. And I've got three smiling faces here, and it's just a delight. Should have thought of doing radio on Zoom a couple of years ago, but here we are. Craig, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our millions of listeners around the world in case they don't remember you, in case anything dramatic has changed in your life or your bio since March. Craig, Craig, go ahead. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Craig Stasela. I am part of the SAP Cloud Platform Strategy Team. I focus in on our integration tools. I've been in the SAP ecosystem for about 22 years. Uh, let's see, what has changed uh, since March? Gosh, I can't think of a single <laughs> thing that is different now than on March 3rd. Oh, wait. Uh, I'm here in my beautiful basement. Uh, my wonderful children are upstairs uh, attending remote schooling. Uh, I haven't been out of my basement in the past six months. So, yeah, the... Uh, Everything has changed, and then uh, yet nothing has changed on what uh, some people call September 15th. I call this March 127th. I don't know. This is uh, the, the, the day, the month that never ends. Oh, that is it's charming and funny. And you know what, Craig, we're all thinking it. I, I agree with you. Haven't heard that one in a while. What's your thought on, on the role of cloud, on companies coming to the cloud, going to the cloud, staying in the cloud, the business cloud, the tech cloud, in order to provide this experience economy where companies really need to be remembered now, Craig, for good stuff, right, when we come out of this pandemic? So quick overview. What's your thought on why companies should be in the cloud? Sure. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that uh, accessing your, not only just your customers and your suppliers, but your employees where they are uh, here again in my basement uh, is, is really important. And being able to do that through on-premises, VPN-enabled technologies just doesn't work for anybody. Uh, you really need to be cloud-first, cloud-native, uh, to allow for uh, your employees to access uh, all the information that they need 
to be able to get their job done. The same thing for your suppliers and dealers and the same thing for your customers as well. Everybody's working from home. Everybody is remote right now. And uh, the cloud is really what is making all of that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's move one more seat around the virtual table to Chris Poxtis. Anybody's wondering how he spells his last name? I'm going to tell you because I want you to know I'm pronouncing it right. P-A-U-X-T-I-S, exactly the way it looks. Chris, welcome back. Pleasure to see you here on Zoom again. And why don't you update our audience what you've been up to and a quick take on what you think about the cloud's role for businesses in the experience economy. Chris. Welcome. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Um, the first thing I was thinking about is uh, I'm glad they haven't invented smell through Zoom because if Craig hasn't left his basement in six months, <laughs> I think that could be a little funky. But just anyway, I had to get, I had to get that out. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Um, so, you know, the past 22 years I've worked as, you know, product manager, consultant. Um, I built uh, – financial data warehouses at, at large uh, organizations, uh, uh, all kinds of different ERP, CRM, HR type software implementations. And the one thing that stuck with me over the years is the convergence of people, process, and technology. And then when we talk about cloud, it really dramatically accelerates the, the rate of new possibilities. And I, I find that really exciting and, and it really never ends. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting a little bit deeper into that conversation today. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have all of you back here with me, especially on Zoom. I love this. Now it's time for the opening quotes, and they've all sent me new quotes. I had a guest on a show last week who always sends me the same quote. He just likes one quote. It's from, I think it's from the writer uh, John Howard. It's about the bicycle is a curious thing. It's uh, the, per the motor is the person who drives it and uses it. Never mind. Who powers it is the same. Never mind. Okay, very interesting quote. Ethan Jewett has sent us a quote from... J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets back in 2002. Can you believe it's been 18 years since that movie came out? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the characters, Hermione Granger and Harry Potter's second year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry involves a darker, more malevolent tale, beginning with the petrified bodies of several Hogwarts students and magical clues leading Harry, Daniel Radcliffe, Ron, Rupert Grint, and Hermione, Emma Watson, to a 50-year-old mystery in the monster-laden chambers of secrets. I wonder if that's in Craig's basement. I don't know. It's You've been there only six months, but it's hard to say. Here's the quote. Fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself. I hope I did that justice, Ethan. Bail me out here, please. What does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. Well, I mean, it's not really meant as a um, as about cloud, of course. It's a, it's about uh, Voldemort, <laughs> I believe. Um, but the um, but the concept, you know, holds for everything. And I, I probably could have found a more uh, a more well known version of that quote. But um, you know. The unknown is is um, is scary, right? And that can be cloud, it can be security, um, it can be data protection. And um, the more that we just sort of refer to it as a scary thing, the more sort of unapproachable it becomes. And we need to really break it down and understand what's going on as technologists and as enterprises um, and understand exactly what we 
what we can actually get out of these different technologies as opposed to just sort of putting labels on them like um, like blockchain, for example. We need to understand what's underneath there and how we can really use it. I love the quote. I'm glad you sent that one. I think it resonated beautifully because fear of, uh, there might be companies, Ethan, that are fearful of the experience economy because they don't get yet, right, that it's what people get from using your product or service that is their experience that is driving this this phase of our economy as we have morphed from agrarian up to where we are today. So I think it's a per- never apologize for a quote. That was great. And I will remember that one. I might even use it in my list of famous examples of the best quotes. Craig Stassel has sent us another amazing quote. This is from George Bluth or Bluth, depending on how you pronounce it, from the TV show Arrested Development. Arrested Development, American TV sitcom created by Mike Mitchell Hurwitz, originally aired on Fox three seasons, 2003 to six. It follows the Bluths, a formerly wealthy dysfunctional family in a serialized format, including uh, handheld camera work, voiceover narration, archival photos, and historical footage. And George Bluth is portrayed by the one and only, interesting, Jeffrey Tambor. He appeared in 79 episodes, last seen in the episode the fallout. He is the George Oscar Blue Sr., a.k.a. prisoner number 1881372911. He is the Bluth family patriarch and founder of the Bluth Company. While running his real estate empire for five decades, he stole exorbitant amounts of money and unlawfully built houses. Uh, we'll leave all the political stuff out of this. Here's the quote Craig has selected. There's always money in the banana stand. Craig, got to hear this one. What does it mean and how does it relate to our show? Go ahead. Sure. So this is a quote uh, from one of my favorite TV shows, uh, Arrested Development. Uh, George would always tell his family, there's always money in the banana stand. And everybody uh, in the show thought that what he meant was uh, this banana stand that was the, the very first business that he owned was something that they always could use to... Uh, generate revenue. They could always sell more bananas, right? And all the children had worked in this banana stand. And every single time his father would say, there's always money in the banana stand. They're like, oh, you know, while our entire real estate empire may be falling apart, we could always go back to the things that have made us money in the past. Uh, But what he really was saying was, uh, all the money that he embezzled, actually, he lined the walls of the banana stand uh, and all of that money was hiding in that banana stand. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a joke, uh, a double entendre, if you will. Uh, but what does that have to do with this, this topic? Well, it really actually does have to do with the, the, the initial thought that all of the characters uh, you know, uh, took that statement to be, which was do what you uh, do best, right? Go back to uh, mm-hmm. your, the, the first love or your first business and, and make make the customers happy, right? So if, if you are known for selling amazing bananas uh, on the Newport Beach uh, boardwalk in California, go back to that and, and be the best banana company that you can uh, and, and really focus on those core experiences uh, to make your customers happy. And if you are embezzling money, uh, maybe you can put that there as well, but I'm not here to talk about that. <laughs> 
And there's always the basement, right, Craig? That's right. You could always line my beautiful walls in the basement. <laughs> that white brick. I, I wish, don't know if I wish each one of those bricks was a dollar bill. <laughs> I was going to say it could all be virtual bricks. We don't know what's buried in them, our walls and them, our hills. Thank you very much. Chris, says, gentlemen, you really outdid yourselves on the quotes this for this show. Really, really. Chris has not let me down at all. Here's a quote from the character Lester Bangs from the movie Almost Famous. That's one of Did you know, uh, Chris, that this is the 71st greatest film of all time? And Roger Ebert called it the best film of the year, as well as the ninth best film of the 2000s. That was the year it came out. Uh, Almost Famous is a 2000 American comedy drama film directed and, and written by Cameron Crowe. It's a story of a teenage journalist writing for Rolling Stone magazine in the early 1970s. He's touring with the fictitious rock band Stillwater. And his efforts to get his first cover story published, rock journalist Lester Bangs, impressed with the kids' writing, gives him a $35 assignment to review a Black Sabbath concert. And Lester Bangs is played by the late, great Philip Seymour Huffman, who was called the Iggy Pop in the AM. And here is the quote. The only true currency in the bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Wow, Chris, you got to bail me out of this one. What in the world are we talking about here? Chris. So just start off with a little bit more con- con- uh, context. Uh, William Miller is the protagonist in Almost Famous, this young journalist. And he's feeling discouraged when he calls Lester Banks for some advice. And, and basically Lester's telling him, you know, the friendship that you're feeling with that band, that's not your job as a journalist. Your job isn't just to be their friend and write a story that's going to make them feel happy and, and, and lovey-dovey. Your story is to be real and honest. And he even uses the word unmerciful, um, mm. but not in a mean way. Um, he uses it actually in, I think, a kind way, which is uh, sometimes being uncool is the right thing to do because you're going against that norm. You know, you're going get you're being your true self. Um, I actually got to give some credit to um, about six months ago, uh, I was listening to another podcast by uh, a woman named Brene Brown, a vulnerability mm-hmm. researcher, and she mentioned the quote, and then I went back and watched the movie again, and it, and it really, like, stuck with me in that, you know, have I let go of certain things just to, to, to fit in and be cool? And then when I think about companies that are really trying to transform themselves – a lot of times I'll see old guard, you know, doing the same things the same way or even a slightly different way and calling that cloud or, or, and, and a lot of times maybe there might be, you know, some uncool suggestion or uncool path to, 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 to a new way. And, uh, and I think that takes a lot of bravery and uh, I was super impressed with it. And it's something that I think about often in, in how, in how I approach situations and just trying to be true to myself. And I think it's important for others to be true, um, especially as you, you're going through such a transformative time, not just with technology, but, and we'll talk about this going forward, but with the business processes that technology allows to change, it really requires to rethink things. Thank you very much. Again, applause to the three of you. So we had Harry Potter, we had uh, Almost Famous, 
And we had, what's our third quote here? I'm looking, 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 Arrested Development, movie and TV. Thank you very much. I still get some panels who want to send me quotes from Churchill and Einstein and Darwin. And I say, hey, find a movie, find a song. Let's have some fun because it engages our listeners. They get to know a little bit about what kind of culture you like. It's just, just, and you educate me. So thank you very much. Let's go to the round table now. This is the really serious part of the show, but we have been serious. Ethan Jewett, I'm going to start with your statement number two in keeping with our theme of experience economy. You told me the following before the show. I'll just read a little bit and then I'll have you expand to take about two and a half minutes, please. And then we'll go around the table and see what Craig has to say and then what Chris has to say. And Craig and Chris, when I get to you, I'll ask you to agree or disagree with what Ethan said. That's for Craig. Chris, when I get to you, agree or disagree with either or both. So you've got the big burden here, Chris Parks has just wanted you to know. So you get your Wheaties and you get ready or another coffee. So here's the statement Ethan told me. He said, the definition of the customer in quotes, air quotes, quotes, the definition of the customer persona is a key point in thinking about experience. Is the customer, and let's give a couple choices here, an internal enterprise user, a paying customer, a developer, a project manager. How do the experiences of these personas impact the end customer? customer experience, question mark, question mark, question mark. Ethan, I'm going to let you unravel this for us. Great point. So please tell us more. What do you think? Oh, I used a lot of question marks there. You did. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question. It's especially tough in enterprise. Um, you know, uh, Clayton Christensen um, wrote about the innovator's dilemma, and that gets to this, this point, especially in enterprise where oftentimes there are multiple customers or the, or the buyer is, is dissociated from the end customer, is dissociated from the developer. And so um, for cloud and for enterprise and for customer experience, this really um, makes the situation a lot more complex and a lot more fluid when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about an enterprise development environment um, purchasing environment and business environment. Um, and so it's just something that we have to think about a lot. Um, when we're doing design, um, when we're doing design of an application for an end user, um, we develop personas for the end user. We use a design thinking methodology a lot of the time. And those personas are really key. They're a, they're the they're the sort of um, they're the sort of abstract target user that we really make um, make very specific in a lot of ways. And we it allows us to think through how this application is going to be used and what the experience of the application is going to be. And that's great, except that in the enterprise, that person is not actually buying the application most of the time. And that person is not actually developing the application most of the time. And so we also have to think about those different roles and personas. Um, and so the, the set of personas that we're using as we're developing applications and we're thinking about is, is cloud the right fit or what advantages does cloud give us um, gets pretty expansive. And um, but that doesn't mean we can't think about those things. We have to take those all into account when we're developing a solution. So. That was kind of what I was getting at with that statement. I'm really curious to hear what, <laughs> what everybody else thinks about that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. There are layers, levels, and nuances. And, and Ethan, what we always have to remember is even when you're dealing with B2B and solutions that an individual person is buying for a company or for a department or for a division, exactly. uh, that they're still a human being that they still get up in the morning. They still do or don't have whatever kind of coffee, tea or whatever they're having. They're still a human being beside that corporate persona, which probably adds to the complexity of developing and knowing what personas you need to target for that 
that buyer. So interesting. Craig Stassel, agree or disagree with Ethan, or maybe a little bit of what even the moderator said. Craig, you're up. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Uh, for the most part, I, I agree with uh, where, what Ethan is is getting at here because there definitely are different personas uh, with enterprise. When you're looking at consumer grade apps, uh, generally the the purchaser uh, that of the app from the app store, uh, if you're thinking like a mobile application or even a even a computer based application, they're going to be the end user of that application. Uh, so the the buying decision, the economic buying decision, the the usefulness, the the end user, they they all collapse into one. So, but as Ethan points out, in enterprise it's not that way at all. And if you don't uh, take time to think about who those different uh, uh, buyers are and what their motivations are, uh, you know, you can definitely miss the mark there. I, I do think this is where uh, being cloud first or, or having a cloud mindset really does come into uh, advantage, uh, specifically for an enterprise software solution. Because if you think of a lot of the economic buyers, and this isn't all of them, uh, the economic buyers are usually looking at that bottom line. And uh, a lot of the, the capabilities and abilities of, of cloud to provide savings, uh, both from a cost perspective, from uh, CapEx versus OpEx, uh, the ability to scale, those are, are very powerful value drivers for those economic buyers. So having that cloud-first mindset really can give you a leg up uh, on, on those specific buyers. Now, if you develop a, a total trash piece of software that is not easy to use uh, and actually doesn't deliver the, the business value, you may have other problems, but you know you can at least uh, start assuaging some of those fears uh, and challenges that you have with uh, finding the value and right-sizing that solution by having a cloud-first mindset. Thank you very much. There's our cloud-first POV. Mr. Chris Poxtis, you're up next. Agree or disagree with either or both? Chris, what do you think? Um, I agree with both, and I don't. I don't really think it's too much of a contentious point. I, I think it's more of a no-brainer. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see a whole lot of debate there. Uh, you know, one comment that I would add, you know, from a from a cloud-first perspective, um, typically what I've seen in, in my experience w w when someone and it goes alludes to what Craig was saying. Um, if if you were to build something from the ground up you kind of become attached to it. You, you own it. You, you don't want to let it go. Even if it's not working, it's like, man, this is my baby. I built it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. But, but if you went like a cloud services route and tried to consume as much as you could and didn't necessarily build every component from the ground up and own it, you're a lot more, I think, likely to decide, you know what? This wasn't exactly the best thing to do. And for whatever stakeholder it was, um, you can all move past it. And I think that that flexibility is something that people need to think about more in the cloud world as, you know, you know, dynamic uh, requirements, dynamic changes happen. And that, uh, you know, it's not an all in this one way of doing something, um, because what I think that those stakeholders need, need is like they, they don't change their mind. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that inflexibility becomes problematic. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Ethan, this is your topic. Anything you want to say back to your fellow panelists, to Craig or to Chris? Oh yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really good point about that about that inflexibility and um, 
you know, from my perspective, at least personas are one great way to think through that and to force that, to force that to a head kind of when, um, when somebody's being inflexible about their about their point of view about the technology stack that they're using about the application that they developed that they don't want to let go of um, then a really great way to, to have that conversation is to talk about well we've got this persona as a buyer and this persona as a user and this persona as a developer and what's their experience of dealing with this this um, application this dinosaur whatever it is that you've got um, that you're trying to hold on to very interesting. Chris is not. And Chris, anything you want to say back to Ethan? That was an interesting comment. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it, it, I do, I concur with the persona approach to kind of break down that conversation just because, you know, and, and, and you know, look, I do it myself for things that I've built. Like, man, you know, no, that data model is awesome. Don't touch it. Like, like, and, and, and then, but, but if you look at it from the, the, you know, if you get out of your own ego, then you can kind of see, oh, wait a second, that persona has a real problem with the way I built that. Maybe we should rethink this whole thing. Um, and that's just sometimes hard. But yeah, I, for sure, the persona-driven approach can help drive that out um, in a more mature way. Very interesting. I just have a sidebar comment to all of you. I studied, well, comedy. I used to do stand-up. Now I just try to be funny sitting down. Once in a while I am. You don't have to laugh right now on cue. Okay, you can laugh. Cue the laugh track, Aaron. That's our engineer. Uh, but I also studied improv. And it's interesting. When you're creating an improv character, what do you do? You develop a persona. So you think about who is this fictitious person? Where did they grow up? What do they eat for breakfast? Where did they go to school? What kind of shoes do they buy? Do they read a newspaper? What kind of news? What are their politics? Uh, what are their, their gender? What are their personality in terms of what do they wear? Where do they go? What kind of movies do they like? And so when you're creating a character, you create the persona first before you put yourself into that fictitious improv slash maybe funny, but already, but very human and hopefully authentic character. So when I'm thinking of personas, the way you're using them in, in experience economy, Ethan, I'm thinking of we do that in different, different venues and different experiences because we want to be authentic, but that's what you're trying to do with the personas you want to sell to as well. So forgive me for that. I just had to add that just to humanize the concept. Craig Stassel, you're up next. Craig, I'm looking at your statement number one you sent me. Just to our, our listeners, I ask each guest in advance to send me not only their bio and their quote and their photo, but four statements on the topic. And then we pick and choose where we want to go next, which makes for an interesting conversation. So Craig told me the following, and we're not going to get too much in the weeds, but this is a little weedy. He says, with so many SaaS software as a service applications in each segment competing against each other now more than ever, enterprises can implement a best-of-breed strategy. I'm going to stop there, Craig, and let you explain this to us, please, and then we'll ask Chris to comment, agree or disagree, and then we'll go around the table to Ethan. Everybody gets a turn to be for a second and third here. We're an equal opportunity roundtable. Go ahead, Craig, you're up. Sure. So, um, you know, uh, my youthful appearance belies my advanced age. Uh, I've been around for uh, better, more than two decades at this point uh, in the ecosystem. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when I, when I started, uh, first of all, there, there was no concept of cloud. And if you were to look at uh, any type of business application in, in any really one segment, there was on the order of zero to no more than two or so uh, different applications in really any segment. 
Uh, fast forward in the, in the intervening uh, couple of decades uh, where the, the hair on my temples starts to turn gray and I started to get a little bit of crow's feet, uh, the proliferation of uh, solutions out there uh, has just really exploded. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, at first it was, uh, you know, big applications that were trying to cater to uh, the broadest range of, of solutions out there. Uh, but over time, you're, you're starting to see uh, applications that are really uh, tailored to specific businesses, specific industries, uh, specific ways of doing business. And uh, each one of these applications may do one or two things very, very well uh, and may be the perfect fit for, uh, you know, a very small segment of uh, what a particular uh, industry is doing. But, uh, you know, what you're seeing now is there's so many of these solutions that uh, at most companies uh, that are, are looking to implement software solutions to help automation uh, or help with automation and help uh, scale their business uh, are looking at, 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 you know, stringing together multiple, multiple of these solutions. And that's a double-edged sword. On, on one hand, you can get all the, the benefits that each one of these solutions provide. But on the other hand, you know, making all of these systems work together is really challenging uh, and can be very expensive. So uh, as I say, you know, there's a lot of different uh, software as a service solutions out there. Um, you know, you got to be careful and, and really focus on uh, what it is as an enterprise that you want to do and what's important to you uh, and is ex excelling in, in one particular area important or is having a, a more holistic uh, capability across the board uh, something that you're looking for. Not a one-size-fits-all answer, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just something to uh, kind of throw out there and think about. Thank you very much. Good talking point there, Chris Poxtis. You're up. Agree or disagree with Mr. Stasilov? What do you think? Um, uh, similar to my last response to Ethan, uh, can't agree more. It's not really a debatable topic, and, and and it's actually aligned with some of my uh, statements that we'll get into later. Is like the the skill set of the future is becoming more of not just who who can build certain things. It's how you can assemble different services from different vendors in a logical way for your organization. And then Craig pointed on, on like, but there is a, you know, it's a double-edged sword. So you want to consume all these things, but then did you create a bigger mess than to begin with? And, you know, in, in theory, what is it like better than just to have everything in one mainframe, like back in, you know, like it was 30 years ago. And, you know, it all, it all was just there. Um, well, well, now it's really distributed coming from all different vendors. So, it's going to require organizations to have a skill set to have a, a, a discipline, a mindset, uh, hey, funny on words <laughs> for Ethan, uh, <laughs> an approach to, to, to how that is done because, you know, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble fast, but not approaching that and, and then saying, hey, I'm really going to build all this myself and go down that route. I think there's very, very few organizations that could afford and practically do that. And, and I would even argue it's not even, it's becoming so unpractical. Like you're not gonna go develop your own blockchain supply chain, uh, you know, from scratch. You're gonna use somebody that created a, a supply chain blockchain service and integrate that into your processes, just as an example. Um, and, and then how do you integrate that with all the other software? Um, that's gonna be a highly paid skill set. the people that do it right. Um, and I can't even say I have it all figured out. I've been thinking about this one for five, 
uh, at least five, closer maybe even ten years, and it's it's an ongoing conundrum that that uh, we as an industry have to work on. Thank you. Very interesting. Very thoughtful, Chris. Ethan Jewett, you have been summoned to use the word mindset. So that alone said you're <laughs> going to be next. Get you business here. So Ethan Jewett, what do you think? Agree or disagree with Chris and or Craig? What You're up. You know, I, I very much agree. Um, I, and I think as to Craig's point, it's a decision that companies need to make. Um, and they can make different decisions in different areas of their business. Um, and and that's totally fine. But what we're starting to see really clearly is that um, cloud architecture to a large extent is about defining boundaries and areas of responsibility and interfaces, um, both within enterprises organizations and between them and between different pieces of software. Um, so, you know, in business circles, that kind of Amazon case studies around how they built AWS are pretty famous. But the key, the key takeaway around cloud architecture there was these clearly defined interfaces around about how different parts of the company can actually talk to each other and how they integrate with each other from a technical perspective. Um, and in order to kind of get to that dream that Craig's talking about of best of breed and excelling in all these different areas, you've got to have that in place. Otherwise, you're just going to have a bunch of um, disparate and not integrated pieces of functionality that are, that are running your business. So you need to have a, a sort of architected and um, and well thought through way of of organizing all that and interfacing it together, and um, companies are, I think, to a large extent, figuring that out. Um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. That sounds like good progress, Craig. This was your topic. What do you think? Anything you want to say back to the other two gentlemen? Uh, no, I just want to uh, you know uh, keep the love fest going, I guess. And we're all <laughs> we're all in agreement and and smiling along. But uh, both Chris and Ethan brought up you know some really great points, uh, and specifically Ethan uh, talking about you know how companies are figuring this out and while. Cloud technology does help with a lot of the complexity and uh, agility that that uh, a lot of these enterprises need to address. It also opens up a whole uh, host of other challenges, uh, and and the fact that you know a lot of organizations still are siloed uh, with uh, their approach to uh, the way that they execute <clears throat> business, and just migrating to the cloud or moving to the cloud isn't going to break those silos down. Uh, you really need to have mm -hmm. a, a holistic approach uh, and, and really start to, uh, you know, bring together disparate parts of the the, uh, the enterprises. And the companies that figure that out first are going to have a significant advantage uh, to those uh, that don't figure it out at all. Thank you very much. Good around the table. Chris Poxtis, I have several of your statements that look like a good place to go. I'm going to pick statement number two, Chris, if that's okay with you. Uh, Chris says, today's catalog of public cloud solutions, and you can define public-private in case anybody in the audience doesn't know what that is, if you don't mind. So we'll call that level setting. Today's catalog of public cloud solutions can make a direct contribution to new products and services, which is what we're talking about. But fundamentally, what they offer is a basket of much more sophisticated components. So focus on any or all of that. Chris Pox, as you start this, and then we'll go around the table. Ethan will be next, and then Craig. Go ahead, Chris. Sure. So it's worth noting, and I think most people know, but assuming just for quick review, you think of like some really large public cloud vendors like AWS, Azure's of the world, um, you know, that have that have grown at astounding rates. 
in public cloud, you're accessing through the public internet. Private cloud is more like a, a hosted environment. Um, you know, not to get into all kinds of details, but um, traditionally the focus was on IT needs, um, but that's not the future. Like what the public cloud has done, you know, and whether, uh, you know, I don't care what company it is, all, all the enterprise software vendors are investing in cloud and they're taking past profits and then they're offering well beyond what would be considered traditional IT, whether it be, you know, infrastructure type things. And, and they're really going down a business uh, services approach with industry-based context. And there's a massive investment um, heading this way over the next many years. And it, it, it's gonna fundamentally change. When we talk about today's catalog of public cloud solutions, well, I look at it as the industrialization of the public cloud. And, and, and this is really taken from some of the work. It is worth giving credit to the leading edge forum, folks like Bill Murray and David Rimmer. But it's the industrialization of the public cloud. And not only that, the democratization of, of the public cloud in that um, you know, you're not just going there for some IT service, you're going there for, you know, could be a business service like tax as a service, uh, blockchain as a service tied to specific slot supply chain needs in a specific industry. Uh, you know, you're going, so you assemble these business services that you otherwise, you know, unless you're a really large company, you probably wouldn't have access to that type of technology. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by democratization. This is now becoming available to startup companies to build an organization or, you know, a company that's been around 200 years and say, we're going to go instead of a build type approach within our environment, it's really becoming an assemble approach. And how do I assemble, which kind of leads into what Craig was talking about earlier, was all these different SaaS vendors. So how do I send, assemble them together with business context? And it used to be this discussion was all about, you know, plumbing and uh you know security and don't get me wrong all of that is hugely important i don't want to discredit that but that's not the only discussion anymore the discussion has moved well beyond plumbing security networking and into okay what is the business context and to use ethan's kind of terms of of that business persona tied to this other persona you know across the value chain and um i, I don't think it's ever going back um in terms of industrialization and democratization uh, of cloud services and moving more towards um, business and industry focused context um, well beyond the traditional IT that we saw um, in the early stages of public cloud. Thank you, Chris. And before I go to Ethan and then Craig, I'm going to add one more thing to what you said, Chris, because I'm looking at your statement number four, which brings in a different type of persona. And I'd like to add that to what you said, and then we'll go around. He said in four, the transformation from build to assembly, which you just addressed, is of such a wide ranging and fundamental nature. Here we come. That the active intervention of CEOs, COOs, COOs, CFOs, and other business leaders is essential. So I'm adding in the personas of the people around the C-suite table, whether it's virtual or if anybody's meeting on a real table anymore. So now let's go around the table. I hope that was okay, Chris, but it seemed like oh, please, a very please. compelling way to expand what you said. Uh, Ethan, you're sitting next to Chris, so why don't you chime in here? What do you think? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I 
completely agree. I think that um, I think we see that from a technology perspective as well, that the vendors have been moving up the stack and they're now getting into this kind of business process building block piece of the puzzle where where that level of the organization becomes directly involved because um, what you know what directors and, and upper level managers are looking at are are putting together business processes more or less. They don't care about the underlying technology or what database you're using or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's how do these different processes fit together? And if those processes are what we're buying from a cloud vendor, be that a SaaS vendor like Craig was talking about, or one of the sort of more traditional um, hyperscalers that are starting to offer these business process um, type of services, those, t- those types of things end up being what what those people are putting together. So yeah, input from that level and from the business persona, so to speak, becomes um, mm-hmm. becomes absolutely key in these types of discussions. Um, and they are really important stakeholders for, um, for, for actually determining cloud purchases and design of cloud, um, of cloud architectures. And think about everybody working remotely, which we talked about at the beginning, and all oh, yeah. of these personas of leaders in charge in control with their own agendas, their own strategies, their own budgets, their own teams, trying to do this remotely. That's why I think Zoom was invented, so they could actually look at each other's eyes and figure it out. Craig Stassel, join us. What do you think about all of this? I really want to key off on what Chris said about the industrialization of Mm -hmm. uh, this technology. If you roll the clock back 100 years, to you know some of the innovations that like Ford was doing uh, with the Model T and and looking at the assembly line nature of of how to uh, create these automobiles uh, at a very rapid pace, uh, but then you know they didn't stop with the Model T. They went on to the Model A and then they you know proliferated from there. And their ability to uh, modify the way that they were building the automobiles the way that they were able to assemble their supply chain and distribution networks is very similar to what uh, you know the leading enterprises need to do today but instead of creating automobiles or 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 set products we we need to look at digital outcomes right how are how are these organizations coming together to build digital experiences um, that couple the you know the the digital ecosystem, the digital experiences with the real world, and the the companies that are best able to do that are the ones that are going to uh, thrive and survive. And you know it, whether it be a two hundred year old company that is able to you know assemble something that is innovative, or it's a startup, you know the industry and history they don't care. Uh, you know, the, the, the consumer doesn't care what a, a, the pedigree of a particular company is. Uh, they, they are going to choose the best product and, and the market is going to, you know, choose those winners and the winners are going to be the ones that can uh, be bones dimble and, and assemble uh, the best experience for uh, their whatever persona it is that's going to be consuming the product. Thank you very much. Chris, go around the table on your topic. Anything you want to add, Chris Poxtus? Yeah, um, well, it's a little bit love-festy to, to Craig's point, but Bonnie, I really liked what you said because the, the reason that that quote was in there was the CFOs, CFOs, whatever, the C-suite, because the first round of cloud services success in IT is going to fund a massive investment in business services in round two. So they need to be prepared to absorb that investment and like start gearing their teams up now 
to, to consume that because the, the, the folks that are, to, to Craig's point, they're going to be at a distinct advantage. And, like, I don't think there's – it's deniable that, the, you know, this is the only way that market the market's going to go is the investment in the IT of the past will turn into business services of the future. Um, and, and then the, the people that can take advantage of that best, they're, they're, they're going to be the ones that are uh, winning their individual markets, I think, um, especially in the digital economy. And that's, that's why those C folks got to pay attention to this. That's interesting what you said, Chris. Thank you, because that was in one of your statements, and it just dawned on me that that would be a good way to add, as I said, another layer of personas, but you just gave me an idea. I want Craig and Chris to please go back to Ira Burke or anybody you work with at SAP. We need a radio series next year called Changing the Game in the C-Suite. We've never done a C-Suite focused series. I have 47 series that I've created with SAP since 2011, and we've never done one from the leadership level of who are they, how do they operate, what, are, what does cloud mean to them, what is the experience economy. Would you two take it back to your teams and maybe we come up with uh, six or ten episodes? And Ethan, of course, you're going to be a guest on the first episode, that goes without saying. But think about a, an approach to looking across at the C-suite. Who are all those people? What are they doing? How are they operating? How are they leading their companies? How do they get along together at the table? Are they talking? Are they Zooming? How are they helping their companies survive at the most important personas in a company is who is leading it, right? Whose vision is it? Who is in the operating mode? Who's controlling the funds? Who's saying, yes, we need to do this versus how dare you? Why, why now? So anyway, I just thought that would be really cool if we do a series on that. Well, I'll let you two. You're, you're my banner wavers. Okay, Craig right. and Chris, thank you very no much. And Ethan, you can encourage them. I think it'd be a great idea. I just used up the time we were going to go to statement number four from Ethan. But now, <laughs> I, I, that was just so exciting. I had to say it. We've never approached a, a holistic view of the C-suite. And you know, there are new C's in the C-suite now, right? The definition of CEO has changed. Chief experience officer, chief excitement officer. We have chief happiness officers. We have probably data officers becoming popular. Data officer. We probably have chief chief data science. We probably have a CZO, a chief Zoom officer. I want to be the chief Zoom (laughs) officer. I want to be the chief. I drive a Z, so it's perfect for me. Yes, I still drive. So I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. So let's go around. I have 60 seconds for each of you. This, This is a wonderful conversation. You know, taking topics like cloud and like assemble and build and customer personas and experience and bringing them to life is not easy. But when I get three panelists like the three of you who are so alive and authentic and into the topic, you bring energy. And that's what the audience wants to hear. Real people bringing a tough topic to life. So Ethan Jewett with that preamble no pressure ethan 60 seconds please give me your prediction on what will happen i think 2020 is pretty much over thank god (laughs) let's talk about what will happen to this topic moving to the cloud journey to the cloud let's say between now and between december 31st and maybe 2025 ethan you're up 60 seconds craig get ready go you know, it just occurred to me that I might have said this last time, but I'm most excited about a, about a possible processor architecture architecture transition and the impact that I'll have. And just like um, during kind of COVID time since March, we've seen that companies that are most able to be agile and, and 
quickly changed their business process, um, have won, I think, and done actually quite well. Um, similarly, on the technology side, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a real uh, stress test of whether technology architectures are able to transition um, if we go through a major process or architecture, architecture transition in the cloud. So that's my prediction, is that that's going to happen. And I'm really curious to see uh, sort of what the winners and losers end up being through that. We all are. Thank you. Craig Stassela, you're up next. Prediction, please, 60 seconds. What you got? Sure. Uh, my prediction is that uh, there's going to be, and this is not a novel prediction, but uh, that people are going to uh, realize that working remotely, working from home is, is going to be uh, in vogue probably for the next couple of years, uh, partly because of COVID and partly because uh, a lot of that C-suite, uh, maybe that CFO is going to look at some of the cost savings uh, that we have from people working uh, remotely. But my real prediction is that uh, maybe three to five years after that, there's going to be a gigantic swing of the pendulum back to uh, bringing people together. Uh, because I think the one thing that uh, all of this remote working is, is really uh, causing to suffer is innovation. Uh, innovation really happens when you bring people together, people mm -hmm. from different backgrounds. And you know, as wonderful as this Zoom call is, uh, you know, nothing beats uh, in-person, uh, you know, collaboration, in-person getting together uh, and the camaraderie that comes with that. Uh, so uh, I, I do expect that we'll see, uh, you know, a couple, three, five years from now, uh, uh, you know, a lot more focus on, on getting people together in very smart and innovative ways. And there's going to be a big push for uh, some, some new ways of getting people together uh, in the real world uh, in, in maybe 2023 to 2025. Then we just came up with the new C-suite chair, Craig. It's the CCO, the Chief Collaboration Officer. There you go. Ooh, or the chief MIP meeting in person officer, the chief MIPO, Chris Poxtis. I have saved 60 seconds. That's all we've got for you. They're all yours. Predict, please go. Um, I liked where Craig was going. And uh, I debate on whether, you know, coming back in person is going to happen. And I, and I do think people need to get together. But part of me thinks it's going to be in some kind of weird VR world where, like, <laughs> you feel you're together somehow and, like, you know, some kind of technology that like maybe you saw in a movie or something. Um, and I also think that any kind of process where the answer is, can be relatively close. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's going to be automated. Like, you know, if you don't need an exact answer, machine learning can get you pretty darn close. And, and that's going to just going to, it'll finally take off. Like the ice age of AI is ended. I mean, it's narrow AI, not real AI, but now AI I think will be real um, for, for, for all, for all of those type of processes. Thank you very much. I, I'm trying to remember where I just spoke to somebody the other day about how uh, machinery, heavy machinery in a big manufacturing operation where they didn't, couldn't put people on a plane to travel around the world, a 12 to 18 hour flight. And just having the engineer look and report what they visually saw wasn't cutting it. So they're using VR headsets to look at the equipment and trans transport admitting that to the people who need to know what's going on. And it's, it's a reality. I'm trying to remember what show. I have so many shows now. I can't thank the three of you enough. I've got 30 seconds to go. Let me go right to the, the cutting edge here. So let's just say thank you. Dana Quarter, 
You outdid yourself, young lady, for bringing back this panel. Just a wonderful way to look at a very serious tech topic and bring it to life. And thank you. I have a new title for my engineer extraordinary. decided he's my sidekick. Aaron, let's have a clap for Aaron Keller at Voice America World Talk Radio, the business channel, my favorite sidekick on these shows. Thank you very much. So here's my call to action and a shout out to Ira Burke for sponsoring the series for seven years. Ira, you rock. You're my hero. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ethan Jewett at Mindset Consulting. Love the name of your company, Ethan. Just like Craig Stasila. Craig, thank you so much. Love your basement. We we all want to come and visit you there when it's safe. And Chris Proxtus, thank you so much, gentlemen. Everybody wave goodbye. Have a great one. Be safe, be smart, be savvy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 